Sometimes we might mistakenly think that uh, what happened on that first Good Friday was a mistake, that it shouldn't have happened that way, that somehow, of course, it was sin, but somehow uh, this was not in God's plan, and this is completely wrong. And sometimes we, at least my perception of it, people, when they think about it, they think Jesus is a victim of the circumstances of these days. And he's not. As we read through the Passion narrative, and actually all three, uh, or all four, uh, sorry, all four Passion narratives, we see something amazing if we put on the eyes of faith. Jesus is not a victim of the circumstances, but rather he's in control. And most especially in St. John's Gospel, how he's in control of the conversation even with Pilate. Schooling Pilate, perhaps, on the power that Pilate has. Pilate thinks, I have power over you. Do you not realize I have power to crucify you and power to crucify or to let you go? You would have no power over me if it had not been given to you from on high. Perhaps that's why Pilate does something that's remarkable. Instead of standing or sitting on that place of judgment, uh, Gabbatha, Pilate places our Lord there. And it's there that our Lord more precisely becomes who he is for us. He's judge. The place of judgment, he's the judge. And he has judged us. And even though the crowds did not fully understand all four record the name of Barabbas, the one who was released instead of Jesus. Why would the evangelist give us such a detail? You know, so, so often, unless it was a saint or, or, or uh, somebody who was very political, but we don't, we don't hear about Barabbas anywhere else. We don't, we don't know anything about Barabbas, really, besides what we read in the scriptures, that he was a revolutionary, that he deserved to die, that Pilate gave the choice between Jesus and him, and the crowds chose him. But perhaps we should remember that in Aramaic, the name Barabbas means son of the father. They cried for a murderer named son of the father, instead of asking for an innocent one who was the son of the father to be our Redeemer. And yet Jesus is in control. And so as he takes upon himself the cross, he's not a victim in the modern understanding of the word victim, but a true victim in the ancient understanding. The one who sacrifices is sacrificed. He's the victim, yes. But even more, He's the victim who sits on the throne. Or the historians who talk about uh, crucifixion, the Roman historians, talk about sitting on the cross, not hanging on the cross. There, there's all sorts of debate. And there was a thing called the sedella that, that they would sometimes place on the cross that uh, would actually extend the torture. We could go into detail about that some other time. 
but uh, we don't know if that was used for our Lord or not, but they talked about sitting on the cross. As Jesus is sitting on the cross, he's sitting on his throne, and it is the throne of grace that we hear about in today's second reading. A throne of grace that we should approach confidently so that we may receive mercy. A throne of grace that because he is victim, not of circumstance, but victim who offers himself, this throne of grace is infinite in its mercy. The grace, just to remind ourselves, is an, a gift, a gift that we do not deserve, but rather is simply given because of the love of the giver. And mercy is also undeserved, something that we need in order to, in, in order to thrive, something we need that we can't have on our own. So we are given this unmerited gift of mercy, of everything we need to thrive. And what do we most need to thrive? Forgiveness. Forgiveness for our sins. It wasn't the crowds that day, only the crowds, I should say, that cried out for Barabbas. It wasn't only the crowds that cried, we have no king but Caesar. That's us, too. We do it in our own sin. We do it every time we reach for something that's fake, false. Every, th- every time we listen to the whisperings of the world that, that something is going to give us comfort, whatever it is, whatever, uh, whatever piece of comfort that we think this world has to offer. But Jesus sits in judgment. And we do not have to fear this judge as, as much as honor him the fear of the Lord, that we are so in love with this judge that we do whatever it takes to not offend him because we love him. But not being fearful, but rather knowing as we approach confidently that throne of grace, we have mercy. This day is about the victim of Jesus Christ offering himself as sacrifice, offering himself to the Father to give unlimited grace, unlimited mercy, unlimited love. We cannot earn it ourselves, and we're stuck in a world of darkness, of sin, without him. And so we enter the silence, perhaps with St. John or the Blessed Mother this day, Uh, standing at the foot of the cross. Notice, there's no recorded words of the Blessed Mother of St. John. They were just participating in silence. Oh, the Blessed Mother, her heart must have been torn open. Oh, St. John, who had followed our Lord so faithfully for three years, must have pondered the mystery time and again and again. And especially as he witnessed blood and water flowing from from the wounded side of Christ, how he must have stood in awe, wondering how is this all to be put together? Or perhaps like as uh, St. Alphonsus Liguori invites us in his own meditations of the Stations of the Cross in Station 12, I believe it is, 
Let my heart be nailed to your feet. It's a rather graphic image, isn't it? But let us love Christ so fully that our hearts cannot be ripped apart from the feet of Christ who hangs on the cross, sits on the cross, to give us this mercy. Let us not be timid this day as we come forward to venerate the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us ponder with all the saints the mysteries that we receive, the grace that we receive from Christ.